the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Lots to get to here on a Wednesday, of course. Going inside the matchup, the X's and O's, the places where the game will be decided. We call it Big Game Breakdown, Michigan-Penn State. Yeah, we're going to figure out exactly what Penn State might be able to do to slow the Wolverines in the first big test of the season for Jim Harbaugh's squad. Tennessee-Missouri is your SEC on CBS Game of the Week, and Georgia continues uh, this challenging finish this to the season as they take on top 10 Ole Miss. Uh, let's go ahead and start, though, with trying to separate what we believe are um, you know, concrete developments, what is interesting for the conversation, what is funny, what is sad, with the latest in the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. So before we get to vacuums, <laughs> before we get to... Um, Airbnb being your house and sleeping in your car. Again, some of this funny, some of this sad. Here's sort of as I've distilled it. Michigan notified by the Big Ten of of potential punishment. Michigan argues in a letter to the Big Ten that the Big Ten should wait for the NCAA to finish its investigation before handing down punishment. Uh, The Big Ten would be potentially handing down any kind of punishment under the league's sportsmanship policy, which includes any kind of disruption to the integrity of the game. Michigan reportedly has informed the Big Ten and the NCAA they do it too, as Ohio State and Rutgers and Purdue reportedly uh, shared the Wolverine signals in 2022. Uh, According to ESPN's Pete Thamel with the report here on Wednesday morning that this is the deadline day for Michigan to offer its official response to the Big Ten, and the Big Ten is expected to, quote, absorb the information with no uh, suspensions or penalties uh, coming at this point. So, Danny, 
let's start with the uh, in the here, in the now. How do you see the next couple of days and the rest of this week playing out for Michigan? I think for the team and Jim Harbaugh, it's business as usual. I think they're going to try to galvanize each other. But from the university standpoint, it's probably a bunch of saber rattling. Like, hey, you want to you come at us? We're ready. Like, we're ready for a legal battle if you try to do something as unprecedented as suspending our coach, you know, in, in, imparting a, a discipline on us when we haven't been proven to have done anything wrong. So I think it'll be a bunch of, you know, sources tell whatever reporter it is that they're ready for to go to battle. Sources tell whoever the Big Ten is taking this very seriously. But ultimately, I don't think we're going to get any real action or any news that's like really newsworthy. So I think it's going to be a bunch of like yeah, saber rattling back and forth. What did you say, Tom? Danny said we aren't going to get anything new or newsworthy, and I said we haven't for a week. Um, this is – it's – I don't know. This There's going to be some kind of punishment. The punishment, whatever it is, I'll, I'll reserve judgment on it for when it's announced, but it shouldn't be anything like that will have any kind of impact because it all boils down to Michigan broke a rule. Michigan should be punished for breaking the rule even though the rule is arcane and only exists because the other schools couldn't afford it and bureaucratic inertia has kept them from getting rid of it. And they'll likely get rid of it now that this has become such a big deal, but the punishment shouldn't be severe because as we've talked about on this show, from the very first moment, this story broke, everybody does it. And now everybody's skeletons are being dragged out of the closet about how everybody steals signs. And the method Michigan used was against the rules. The methods other schools have used, they're not against the rules. The result is the same. You know the other team signals. There is not a huge advantage to getting it through video. That's what is so stupid about the entire thing. It is the most inefficient way to do it, having this vast network of spies recording all this stuff when you could just pick up the phone and call your friend who played them last week, and they'll tell you the same damn thing that you're getting from that video. So there is no huge competitive advantage. So whatever the punishment is in the end should not be significant. It should be a fine and a slap on the wrist and everybody moves on. But we've blown this thing up to such large proportions that unless Jim Harbaugh goes to prison, everybody's going to feel like Michigan got away with something. And it's just so freaking stupid. And by the way, Chip, you'll appreciate this. I told Lynn the other day, I said, set a reminder in your phone for Halloween next year to ask me what the dumb, pointless scandal in college football was this month. Because what month did this break, Chip? October. What happens in October every year? Halloween. With the um, college football media economy. What happens in October every year? Oh, numbers go down. That's right. (laughs) The Colorado bubble burst, and then October came, and all of a sudden this became a huge deal. If this was Arkansas State or something, We'd crack some jokes about Butch Jones like hiding in garbage cans for 20 minutes and we would all move on. But since it's Michigan and they are a great team and they are in the college football playoff conversation and other coaches have plenty of reason to want them to be punished for it, it becomes this never-ending cycle of huge, wild, crazy twists. I just set the calendar too. 
yeah. want to ask you. I disagree with you in the aspect of I do think there's a competitive advantage versus on the field, game day, you've got several guys trying to decipher something very quickly versus sending somebody there, filming, having a week to interpret, to dissect it, to try to use it on game day. How much How much of an advantage? I think it's debatable, but I do think it's a competitive advantage, which is why we're here. And I think the reason we're talking about it so much is because it's Michigan. They're potentially the best team in the entire country. So, of course, we're going to talk about it. I don't think it's just... I know I get the conspiracy theory like we need something to talk about. I think it's worthy of the the investigation. Like I think the NCAA, they, when have they ever acted fast? All of a sudden, they have got their butts in gear. I don't have confidence they get it done in time, but they've always been like, yeah, we'll get there when we get to it. They are in a hurry on this one. Saying that this story is being overblown is not a conspiracy theory. The idea that this is some large network in which Jim Harbaugh is the head of a vast network of spies is the conspiracy theory that everybody is pushing. If you read the Wall Street Journal story on Connor Stallions, it paints a concerning picture. I'll just say that. Yeah. Not dealing um, with a rational actor. Yeah. That is my read. That's my unfair assumption, having not met the guy that every detail that we get paints. Um, some a, a not reliable narrator. So you go with the like, insanity defense. Basically, <laughs> yes. Uh, it, the the your your legal defense to a nuisance claim where you have all these vacuums on, on your porch and, and, and your your HOA is pissed at you. If your legal defense is I coach for Michigan and the guy bringing the the, the claim is a Michigan State fan and he must hate me because he hates Michigan. Like it's very clear that Connor Stallions, what about his entire life, but a large part of his life centered around. Michigan football. He's like absolutely message board guy come to life. I, I think what we saw yesterday or last night was that the, uh, I think it was Richard Johnson at Sports Illustrated, the, the story about how all of these coaches colluded uh, to give Purdue Michigan signs for the Big Ten championship game. I, I think Michigan is at a competitive disadvantage if it does not try to cheat and steal signs. I operate under the assumption that all of these big level programs are cheating in some way. Now, I do think Michigan probably should be punished a little bit because what they did was explicitly outlawed, right? And also, they were really dumb about it. And I just, they probably should be punished a little bit. Like I said, maybe suspend a coordinator for a game or something like that. If you're Tony Petiti, and I need to give credit to Peter Burns on this, because it's essentially taking what municipal governments do, where they're getting sued, they definitely screwed up, they should settle the case, but that looks bad on them because they're elected officials on a board. So they, they take it to a trial, and then when they lose, they blame the jury system. Basically, what should happen, Peter Burns kind of outlined outline this, what Petiti should probably do is try to hammer Michigan. Michigan gets an injunction. They sue back like, yeah, you know this is never going to fly. Petiti's like, hey, I did what I'm allowed to do. Sorry, other 13 schools and coaches. Knowing that nothing's going to happen, the networks remain happy. Michigan remains happy. The, the schools are like, all right, we did all we could. Cool. We're not really going to talk about this anymore because, again, glass houses, hello. And we go on with our life. Michigan plays. I, I don't know. I same energy. We all think this sport is a lot dirtier than what gets reported. A lot. I, I just don't care anymore. It was good traffic for two weeks. <laughs> the vacuums, repairing vacuums and sending sending them back. I mean, that's that's wild, right? What was that is not like, a five star review on your Amazon page. And, and it's so not, it's like somebody bought a camera that they thought was going to be new, and the camera had smudges on the lenses. That could have just right. been handling. Question, though. I mean, what are we thinking? 
Will they vacuum time, twins? Time and money. Yeah. Like, are you really thinking you're going to make money doing that? Or I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. Like, how much did some of these vacuums sell for? Do, do we know how much the ones sold for that didn't get returned and weren't complained about? <laughs> I don't right. know. I don't know. Kind of weird. Yeah, it's it, anyway. It, well, <laughs> you guys, so I know, I know we're, I know the defense, but I mean, have you guys looked at any of the resumes, any of these coaches that have elevated, you know, through way through the ranks, like where they started out? I mean, ask, there's a lot of coaches that, Oh, started yeah. on the bottom, sleeping on the floor of somebody's buddies, you know, other assistant coaches house. Like I kind of appreciate the hustle. Like we've seen, I mean, Manny Diaz was at Florida state with me. I'm not saying he's anywhere near the same, but he was a guy who was a video coordinator at Florida state. Like that's a guy didn't play. Wasn't a great, you know, like just didn't have a name, but he hustled because we do appreciate the hustle. I think that that could be it too. He was a guy who just wanted to be a head coach. I mean, some of these guys in these staffs that are low level, they work insane hours with no pay whatsoever. And if you can do something to put yourself to elevate yourself to make you stand out, then why wouldn't you? I think that he, the, man, this is so unfair, but my read on it is that he romanticized that Danny, you know, he had heard those stories and he was like, this is what I've got to do. When you have a 600 page manifesto of your plans for the future of Michigan football and you believe that you are going to lead a revolution in the sport with your great expertise, he is fulfilling the main character syndrome. He is writing his origin story. Like he, he really believes that this is how it's going to get done and legend will remember Connor Stallions and what he meant to Michigan football. Like that, again, very unfair read of it. But the way that all the details, the way that I process it, that's what I see uh, here from Connor. So you're saying he wouldn't do the Manny Diaz thing where Manny Diaz at Florida State eventually took the Miami head coaching job. He's never going to disavow Michigan like that. He wasn't on the the fast track to get any job. He wanted Michigan job. They uh, Spencer yeah. Hall made a joke uh, on Bomani Jones podcast that if he get, if he gets called into court, he needs to show up with a Michigan net t- neck tat. You know, just a big old M on the side of it. <laughs> I, uh, I I have a similar question to what Dan Wetzel asked. And he basically asked, okay, what is the difference between Michigan sending somebody to get signs in person and Purdue taking per- signs that were gathered in person by other Big Ten schools and then using them? Is it the method of acquisition? Because the method, like, like how do you acquire the signs that were acquired by in-person scouting? Like Michigan somebody, sends somebody out there to do in-person scouting. Purdue knows they're going to get the signals, which were acquired via in-person scouting from these other schools. Mm-hmm. Again, this is Michigan's <clears throat> mitigation, and it's brilliant. One is much more efficient than the other, and it's the one that's not the Michigan way. It is just that calling your friends, hey, what do you got from their signals? You played them on Saturday. What did you see? And We, we talked about this on October 26th. Go back and listen <laughs> to the episode. I, I, I talked to a coach, and he's like, yeah. I spent like two hours on the phone with this other school last night. They gave me everything. Like we feel great about our game plan now because they just played the thing. Like it was two very friendly staffs playing the same team back to back, and the second team crushed their ass. So, I, yeah, it. I guys, do it think it's a the method though, specifically, which is there's very specific ruling in it. Yeah, they think? broke the rule. But yeah, at the end. <laughs> yeah. 
Florida State, why do you think I was friendly with KDs or DGs? Because their sorority had a lot, like a cabinet full of former exams that you could go grab before you took the exam. That's the swivel of sharing notes for different classes, as opposed to if you're in there like uh, Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase, was it in uh, Spies Like Us when they had, mm-hmm. when they had the, the video and they were doing everything, <laughs> trying to look at everybody else? It's way more obvious when you do that. It, it boils down to this. They broke the rule. They should be punished. But the punishment should fit the crime. And the crime is a very, very tiny little misdemeanor that is being blown into like a class five felony that he should go to federal prison for. It is just a very tiny violation that everybody thinks is now the last string holding civilization together that they didn't know existed three weeks ago. That's really what this is. The fine and the sportsmanship clause is what? Two game suspension and $10,000? Mm-hmm. At most. Unless That's you get the president's... Do you think they, I mean, there was a report, I forget who had it, that that was floated to Santa Ono and Michigan. And they were like, oh, we're going to court. Why yeah. wouldn't you just pay the fine? And well, like, the, if you can negotiate it, suspension. say we already did time served. It's the two game suspension. Say but we that already suspension did it. was for the other thing, though. That was for the other thing. We did it already. The, we we sat out for Yeah, that was for having <laughs> yeah. people on campus when they weren't supposed to have them on campus. Yeah, I no, know. This, this, this is a bigger deal because he also spent the season on the sideline at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. Like, this, it's just, Anyway, I I planned for seven minutes. Here we are, 16 minutes into the podcast. You can't help it. That's why, Tom, because you start talking about it, and then you just can't stop talking about it. Speaking of the NCAA, quick straw poll. Do we think the Dukes, after being denied three different layers of NCAA appeal, coming in with an 11th hour appeal to the NCAA, showing all the stats and facts about where James Madison stacks up against all the other uh, group of five teams that could be competing for the New Year's Six. Do you think that the Dukes can receive bowl eligibility? No, because that would require the NCAA being using common sense and doing the right thing. And when was the last time we counted the NCAA to do that? I, I don't think know there's a chance to handicap this. Well, because public court of public opinion is saying this is dumb. I mean, and I'm sure that uh, you know, Kurt Signetti, big fan of the Cover Three podcast. I'm sure I'm sure that he's listened to us say how dumb this rule is and, and cut it up and and sent it in uh, to the NCAA as part of their appeals process. You know, this everyone believes the inability for James Madison to compete in a bowl game or for the Sun Belt Championship is silly, given the way that the Dukes have performed. It is one of the best hit-the-ground-running performances that we have seen from any program that's made the jump from FCS to FBS. I I just don't have faith in the NCAA on this one. I give a sliver of a chance. Let me ask you guys something. When Tez Walker was deemed ineligible, public outcry, team goes, you know, where's the jerseys? Every analyst is like, this is stupid. Do you believe when the NCAA released their statement that they had newfound information or Carolina presented newfound information, or do you think they finally caved? Like, was that, and maybe, because this is a new regime, this is Charlie Baker. Do you, like, it depends on what you believe happened behind the scenes. If he did cave and was like, you know what, this would be really, this looks really bad. Let's just give him, let's just make him eligible. It's not that big a deal. Like, let's just do it. Then I think there is hope. Because I think this is the easiest win for Charlie Baker in the NCAA, maybe that we've seen like on his plate, where he could be like, you know what? This makes no sense. They're a really good football team. Why would we penalize them? So I, I have I have hope for them. And the fact that they presented it yet again, maybe there is hope. 
The other thing too, I asked uh, Nicole Auerbach this because uh, you know I saw her tagging on social media. I said, "Well, this is great bowl eligibility. They already could have gone to a bowl. We talked about that a little bit, but yeah, it's probably a crappy bowl. What about the Sun Belt Championship?" And she said, "The Sun Belt said if they are bowl eligible, they would also be eligible for the Sun Belt Championship." So I think maybe the NCAA is also getting pressure from the Sun Belt because the New Year's Six is at stake. Like right. if they're Sun Belt champs, they could get a New mm-hmm. Year's Six. So again, I think everybody wins. I think it's an easy win. I'd love to see it. I hope it does. I would love to see it too, just because I want to see Troy play JMU again. Like yeah. with how the East is shaking out, Troy is going to smoke anybody it plays from the East. I mean, McCall's out for Coastal. They Georgia already Southern could get there and maybe and Georgia Southern. I like. Do they really have a prayer of blocking Troy? I I don't like. I I like Georgia Southern, but I. JMU is the one team in that league that has athletes that are like legitimately blow for blow with Troy, and they beat them, right? And, and, and Troy couldn't score in the red zone. I, I would like to watch that game again, for sure. Like That would be a really good game to watch. Uh, super significant. Also, Jalen Green's out for the rest of the season. Yeah. They're yeah. mm-hmm. defensive linemen. So exactly. that's like, and that sucks. That's a while we're doing, bummer. While we're doing G5, can we give some max shout-outs? Sure. Shout-out to Ball State. Last night was I fun. Yeah, I don't think we've had – that's probably the MAC team that has had the most dudes go down. Like they lost their stud receiver, their stud tight end. They lost that like all world linebacker against Kentucky. Just it's not like they have that many dudes, but almost all of their dudes just are done for the year with injury. So that was a good win over NIU. Like they're they haven't quit. They're they're still fighting. I think shout out to Western, probably the program that had the most guys leave via the portal, like of impact. I mean, they, they lost like four or five. Power five starters off a of Mac team, which is a well, Kent State says bit. hello. Well, that's true. Yeah, that is true too. Um, Kent State lost almost everybody. That was nuts. right. Including and they coach, they can make a bowl still. Like they, they got two ball games left. It won't be easy, but they can still make a bowl. And shout out Ohio's defense for stepping up. Like Curtis Rourke clearly doesn't look right mm-hmm. at all. I mean, and it hasn't for about a month now. And Ohio allowed what 10, I think last night it was. Yep. They, just, they kept getting stops. That was huge. Good also, work. shout out to Illinois legislators for not allowing me to bet the Ball State money line last night like I wanted to. <laughs> shout out to Hard Rock for getting uh, their Hard Rock, our Seminole Hard Rock bet uh, opening here pretty soon. We'll be able to do it in Florida. Oh, just in time for load up on the Knolls. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> What's your 100 deposit match? It's all going on the Knolls, baby. <laughs> um, all right, so while we're sitting here, uh, three games on Wednesday night, Akron at Miami, Ohio. Um, Miami, Ohio, heavy favorites there against the Zips, 17-point favorites. Uh, Kent State hosting Bowling Green. You can see that on CBS Sports Network. Bowling Green, 10-point road favorites. And then Toledo, Against Eastern Michigan, the Rockets, 19. Can we trust Jason Candle with 19 whole points? <laughs> the line is moving to Toledo and under. So my guess mm-hmm. here is that somebody is out on Eastern's offense because, I mean, we're talking it was 18 and a half this morning. Now it's painted 20. Looks like 45, 45 and a half is painted down from like 47. So if you like Toledo, get it here live in the cover three yeah, tailgate. Yeah, because we had this situation last week and made some money on the Wake Duke game. So do we have do we have one of those? Do I need to get this? Thing no, in? no, I, I, I'm not, <laughs> not seeing that. I'm not seeing it being bet at these certain shops uh, on on my spank odds. It's just I, I don't know. Um, I, it just that's a very low total for a 20 point spread. So I don't know. Maybe somebody's out on Eastern that I don't know about. I 
I, I, I stand with my first comment. I'm not ready to trust Jason Candle with a 20, 20 whole points. No. Bowling Green like, team total over. Eastern Michigan team total under, I could see. Ooh. If you want to like play both those. Like, if these moves are right, it's basically, hey, EMU is going to score in the single digits. Right. So it's something to six. And you just you're gonna have to rely right. on whether uh, Daquan Finn is gonna be going to page four of the playbook or just keeping it you know very very simple and getting out of there with a whatever win. Like forty five and a half and twenty. So what what what's our implied team total? Like thirteen, thirteen juice kind of even thirteen and a half juice like minus thirty under. I, probably something around there. You won't get a fourteen. Um, one last uh, quickie here before we hit the break. Uh, didn't get a chance, uh, Bud, to, to chat with you on this. What's your read on the MJ Morris situation at NC State? Uh, for those who are a little bit late to the take on this one, the NC State quarterback who took over for Brennan Armstrong is 3-1 and one as a starter. He is coming off back-to-back wins against Clemson and Miami, and it was announced this week that he will be redshirting the rest of the season. Brennan Armstrong takes over uh, as the quarter, starting quarterback for the Wolfpack once again. I believe... Lex Thomas, Alex Thomas, I think is our other scholarship quarterback. Um, kind of a thin room if, if something were to happen to Brandon Armstrong the rest of the way. You know, for context, Dave Doran did indicate near the beginning of the season on a coach's show that the plan, you know, is for was for MJ Morris to redshirt the entire year, continue to develop and let Brandon Armstrong be a little bit of a bridge quarterback before Morris takes over as a full-time starter. But your break glass in case of emergency quarterback, you needed to break the glass to be able to save the season. He's done that. They've reached bowl eligibility. There's other NIL potential factors here. What, but how, what's your read on this situation? So I, I don't have insider info here. I'm just trying to craft something that makes some sense. Uh, it makes perfect sense that maybe they told MJ Morrison and, and family, hey, uh, we're, we're bringing in Brennan Armstrong. We would still like you to play four games because you can do so and preserve your red shirt. I believe you can play the bowl game now too, right? Or at least yeah. you could last year. So I would assume that rule would hold over again, but I haven't seen so. So, you know, his four games are up. Uh, there's probably some kind of compromise like, hey, please don't transfer, despite the fact that we're taking Brennan Armstrong. We'd still like to use you for four games. You know, I don't know that Morris is like some big-time NFL prospect, but he's a, a, a talented enough, I'm not going to say good enough, because I don't think he's actually good yet, but like talented enough, physically talent, uh, to where he can make some NIL money. So it gives him another year to make NIL money and potentially uh, helps him out to get more playing time down the line. Like This is just a balance of roster. NC State is not the type of program that can go out and take a fairly proven-ish quarterback like Brennan Armstrong and expect not to piss off their their nice recruiting win, second-year player named Jay Morris. So this is probably something Doran had to handle before the season. Right? Like If you're Alabama, you can get away with that, kind of. It, if you're NC State, you can't. Mm-hmm. Delicate things need to be managed. What do y'all think? What do I think or do I want the conspiracy? Both. Both. All right. What do I think is we plan to redshirt this year? They're thinking of 2024 as a year where MJ gets, you know, comes in, they're about stronger. And because this year they're not winning the ACC. Tinfoil hat. This saves a year of eligibility for when MJ Morris transfers to wherever Dave Doran is coaching next year, be it at Michigan State or somewhere else. Mm. So has Dave Doran spoken on this yet? 
Not, let's see, his availability was Monday. I don't, I don't think so. And look, I, I'm curious to see what he says. Like, so you think this is a managed situation where Dave Dorn's okay with it? Because there's public black backlash at MJ Morris, which I understand. But I think you also have to look at it from the player's perspective of he had, you know, last year he played really well, looked like he was going to get his big opportunity this year. And then all of a sudden, boom, Brandon Armstrong comes in. It's like, what the heck? And they tell him, we're going to redshirt you this year. Don't worry about it. Give you a year of development, your team the next year. Then he comes in, burns that one, doesn't play great. Maybe he's just mad at the way everything has unfolded. Like that was the, that was kind of my read on potentially if he does transfer out, if he leaves NC State, totally could understand it, even though a lot of people are like, how do you do this? You're three and one. How would you leave your team back in the dust? This is a new era of player who does not think about the best of the team. Most of them are thinking, what's best for me? Like, what do I need to do to best make it to the NFL, to get the biggest NIL deal, whatever it is? So I don't know. I'm just looking at every possibility that could be happening. Because they did put Brennan Armstrong back in that game. That was my other thought, Danny. Yeah, like, is he pissed off that, that like, maybe there's some, hey, I'm willing to burn this red shirt if it's me the rest of the way and we're riding with me. Right. But I'm not doing this Steve Spurrier-esque musical chairs quarterback thing, so just redshirt me and I'll, I'll take the full season or, or I'll I'll take the road out of town. So right. he hasn't left the team. He is at practice. He's Saw just working, yeah. yeah, he's working with the scout team. You know, if, if you were 100% out, you would be out. Um, his father told WRAL, um, you know, he never said he was going to transfer. If he wanted to transfer, he could have done it in December. He could have done it in May. You know, this, this clearly there's something uh, to this. There's, I'm, I don't know. I'm sitting there, Danny, thinking about the locker room. And that was one thing that I was, um, you know, texting with a, a friend who's a little bit more in the know on the program. I was like, how do you go back into that locker room when you were the part of the turnaround? And that's going to be something that's difficult potentially to manage or everybody knew that this was the case from the very beginning. Um, here's what's significant in terms of MJ Morris and the 2024 Wolfpack. The best offensive player for NC state by my read is the freshman wide receiver, Casey Concepcion. They don't have a ton of dynamic skill players beyond Casey, but they do have a four star running back named Jonathan Paylor, who is extremely talented and is sort of like looked at as like, this is the kind of, you know, highly recruited skill player that NC state does not always does not traditionally get, you know, one of the five best players in the state of North Carolina, when you're able to go and win that battle and get somebody there. Now you're starting to spin this forward with, all right, MJ, look at the offense around you. You do not have a lot, but if KC comes back with another year of development, we bring in Jonathan Paylor, we go portal shopping and, and try to do a better job of our evaluation of trying to bring in guys that can help you, you are going to have a better chance for success next season. You know, let's all invest in this together. I can see that. I think it it stinks because you know who's left on NC State schedule? Games that matter to fans. Wake coming up this weekend. North Carolina on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Games that losses are, are going to sting a little bit, but I guess they're bowl eligible. So we'll, uh, that's what you can say, I guess, as an NC State fan, is we're bowl eligible and next year, just looking ahead to next year. Because this is an offense that I downgrade with MJ Morris taken out in favor of Brendan Armstrong. But I, MJ Morris hadn't been the difference. The defense yeah. has been playing great. Like mm -hmm. he hasn't totally. been playing great. Like I, that's, like I was going to go deeper conspiracy than Tom even and say, 
I mean, NFL, you see it all the time. The guy that's making more money is the one that they're going to eventually go back to. Collective pressure, you know, is there pressure from whoever paid Brandon Armstrong? Hey, that was the guy we paid. We need to see him finish this thing out. I don't know. Maybe it all is the part of the plan. Maybe they were said, MJ Morris, we're going to redshirt you. We can still win without you. We'll go ahead. Everything's kosher, and we're good to go to the next next year, and we're still right on the script. I Speaking of collective stuff, just in general, I do think we're going to see collectives go away from like the universal basic income model. Yeah. I think you're a lot of programs are figuring out like these players that are like, let's play players 55 to 85 on, on, on your, uh, on your, on your team. They should be paying you, not you paying them. So mm. I, I think that's going to go away. Coming up on the other side, diving into some of the biggest matchups of the weekend in big game breakdown, starting with Michigan and Penn state. Next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step. The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, every single Wednesday, we like to take a deeper dive into some of the matchups. The picks come on Thursday. We give you the breakdowns in Big Game Breakdown. Tom. Chip. Before we get to how um, Penn State is going to try to move the ball and score points against Michigan's defense. What about the other side of this? The good on good that we have in this matchup. What are the the matchup points of inflection that you see when Michigan's offense goes up against Penn State? Because as we mentioned in, in the uh, playoff rankings reaction show last night, the idea that this Michigan State team is not going to produce at the level that it has all season makes total sense based on the quality and the set, the quality of the opponent and the setting of the game. So how do you see that playing out on the field? It's going to be the most interesting aspect of this game, in my opinion, because like <clears throat> there are, you know, we can trash Michigan's schedule all we want, say where it's ranked, say they haven't played anybody. I don't, I think it's a little overstating it, but as I've said a thousand times, it's not who you play, it's how you play. And Michigan has played really well, but that offense regardless of the overall quality of the teams that it's faced, if you just look at the units it's faced, 
the Penn State defense is a like a completely different animal than anybody that they have seen. And how effective will this offense, which has pretty much been able to do whatever the hell it wants against everybody it's faced, be against a Penn State defense that it's not a fluke. Like we've we've seen it dominate lesser opponents, but we also saw it give Ohio State a hell of a time a few weeks ago in that game in which the Buckeyes really struggled to move the ball effectively. And the Buckeyes are they're not the same Ohio State offense we've seen in recent years, but they are still a pretty good offense. And they have guys like Marvin Harrison who pretty much bailed them out in that game. Can Michigan keep doing what it's been doing against this Penn State defense? I think the most likely line, most likely outcome is they will. They'll score points. They will not be nearly as effective as they have been. They will have to, you know, bring out their punter a couple times, which is something they're not really accustomed to doing too much. They might see a few turnovers. Like J.J. McCarthy had the three turnovers against Bowling Green, and he hasn't really had them at any other point. I'm expecting he'll have one or two in this game because I think this Penn State defense is that good. But I think Penn State's defense is at its best in the front seven. Like, I don't think the secondary is outstanding. I think the safeties are good. I think the corners are okay. Like, I think Kalen King is having a really tough season. For somebody who was projected to be like first-round pick kind of guy, I don't think he's having the best year. It's going to be interesting to see if Michigan's receivers, like guys like Roman Wilson, who have had solid years, can take advantage of that and exploit that. And if they're going to have the same kind of explosiveness in their passing game that they have had against other teams. I've also written about how, and Bud has talked about how, J.J. McCarthy has really taken steps forward in his overall game of not being as reliant on play action, not being as reliant on rolling out and getting outside the pocket, and just kind of dropping back and running a quote-unquote pro-style offense. Can he do that against this team, which gets a lot of pressure and will collapse a pocket? And how will this Michigan offensive line, which is tremendous, hold up against this Penn State defensive front? I don't know. I have my suspicions, but that is the one thing that I'm really, really interested in watching this game. Because frankly, the other side, and I talked about this a little bit in the reaction show last night, I'll let you guys talk for a bit first, but I really don't think Penn State offense is going to have a good time. In looking at this, I'm really curious to see how Michigan reacts if and when it gets punched in the mouth, right? There is a lot of signal to doing what Michigan has done. And I, I don't, sorry, n- not signal, but like there, there's a lot of, <laughs> all right, they, they, they deserve it for being that sloppy with it. But we, we know what the pattern of like dominant national championship teams looks like. When they play bad teams, they stomp them. It's not competitive. You can't do that. Like there's no just easy button to press. Okay, we're just going to be really good at stomping bad teams. So there is a lot of, of truth to what Michigan's been doing so far. But there is a little bit of like a, a boiling point, if you will, like when you face similar level athletes, does all of what you do, does it all translate? Do you have to do things differently? I want to see like what is Michigan's plan B or plan C? I also really want to see, and we talked about this with USC a couple of weeks ago because they hadn't played very, very many decent teams. What are you holding back? What, what else do you have in the tank that you haven't run yet? Because you've kept it real basic and you've run very few plays. I mean, you're talking like 60 plays a game in many circumstances. So like, what else does Michigan have that it hasn't shown in game yet? Probably quite a bit. Michigan's run game has been, I would say, good, but not amazing so far mm-hmm. relative to the competition level. The past game and the explosives have been been really nice. Uh, but if, if you're Penn State, to Tom's point, do you, how much do you fear Michigan's receivers? Some, 
do you have the uh, the, the the fortitude to to go and, and really single those guys up and bring a lot of pressure at McCarthy and see how he reacts to that? Because nobody else has really had had the guys to even attempt that. So there's a lot of unknowns with this that, that I'm I'm curious to see. It's funny you mentioned the run game and maybe Michigan showing some stuff they haven't shown yet. I swear to God, I feel like Michigan's run two run plays all season long. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also think you know what else you haven't seen, which just in a numbers game is the J.J. McCarthy run game, like mm. adding the quarterback element to it, where even if you go back last season against the better defenses they played, all of a sudden his rushing attempts go up, whether it's designed or scrambled. Um, that's an aspect of Michigan's offense that I think you could see more of in this game, and I would expect J.J., you know, his legs to kind of be that difference. Um, you know, Ohio, uh, Penn State, you know, watching them against Ohio State, they did a really good job. Now, Kyle McCord is not the quarterback that J.J. McCarthy is. J.J. McCarthy, much more experienced, much better decision maker. He's been much more consistent. But, like, we all thought the difference in that game was Penn State didn't have Marvin Harrison Jr. Does Michigan have a Marvin Harrison Jr. that can pick it up? Is Roman Wilson that guy? Is it somebody else that, in a lower-scoring game, steps up and make that play? I don't think they do, which is why I think Penn State can keep this defensive, you know, a defensively ugly game where they kind of contain, don't give up the big plays that they gave up to Ohio State. It's at home, potentially make some plays on defense because that I, I don't see Penn State lighting up the scoreboard either. I think Drew Aller will play better than he did against Ohio State, but I don't envision them putting up a ton of points. And then can your defense, which they did at Ohio State, there was a penalty on the holding call, but they did create a scoop and score in that game that was called back that could have been massive for Penn State. So, like when I look at that, I think I think Manny Diaz is going to have to create some havoc, has to get to JJ McCarthy, has to rattle him. They've got to do something on the defensive side of the ball to almost win this game. You mentioned can Roman Wilson be the Marvin Harrison? That that's the one that's another interesting matchup for this one because you know Michigan lines Roman up in the slot a lot more often than they put him on the outside. And that's where Penn State's been putting Cam Miller most of the year. And I think Cam Miller has been their best corner. So that's kind of like a really interesting matchup there. And how will they kind of take Roman Wilson out? Because, you know, Morris is good. Johnson is good. Barner's a good tight end. But Wilson really is, in in the passing game, kind of like the really explosive, dangerous threat coming out of the slot, finding, you know, mismatches. I don't know if those mismatches are going to be there as frequently against Penn State. And how does Penn State and Manny Diaz disguise what they're doing? Because, you know, they're going to be pressure. That's just what they do. So last season, one thing that, you know, my memories of last season, I was kind of piecing it together. I, I always thought that Michigan was sending Jake Moody out there a lot. Felt like Michigan got into scoring opportunities a lot and kicked a lot of field goals. And, you know, when I went back to look at it, the numbers backed it up because, sure, (laughs) Iowa led the Big Ten in the field goal percentage and red zone opportunities. That doesn't come as a huge surprise, but you know, Michigan was kicking a lot of field goals, a lot more field goals than they do this year. The red zone offense, in terms of how often they convert those opportunities into touchdowns, has improved by a lot. Penn State, also a very good red zone team, and it made me think about the mentality of this because, and this sort of leads us into the other side, Can you imagine a scenario where Michigan simply does not believe that Penn State will score more than 17 points and just doesn't even more willing to play field position, 
more willing to kick field goals, um, you know, not necessarily trying to throw that hammer in a way where we look up because obviously big noon game, this is going to be like a four and a half hour game despite only having 33 points, right? You know, we're going to look up in the at six o'clock. <laughs> yeah, we're going to look up at the start of the fourth quarter at six o'clock and we're going to say, you know, Penn State's just a play or two away, even though it might have been the kind of game that has always felt like Michigan is dominating. If Michigan comes out throwing haymakers, being aggressive, hitting home run plays, to me, I think it's night-night. Because I do at least, I, I would agree with Michigan's uh, you know, hypothesis, Penn State's not going to score 20 points against us. But I would also be worried if I was a Michigan fan that being too conservative in that belief could maybe get you got if you're always saying one play away. So two, two little things here. How much of last week was Penn State and how much was Maryland? A lot of it because right there's like Maryland fans on Twitter who are like, "Hey, Maryland, quit." I you watched know, it like, looked were, like they'd kind of a lot of jogging around, mm-hmm. yeah. And how, like, so how much do we want to impute that, you know, success to Penn State, and how much do we want to say, "Hey, that that had a lot to do with Maryland." And we watch him for that because if you believe that Penn State's offense is improving during the season, which is not crazy to think, right? It really could be. You got a first year starter in Drew. The other part that I'm very curious is. How bad does does Michigan beat up Penn State on the inside with this defensive line? Because like I've mm-hmm. talked to guys who have played Michigan, and like they've told me like, man, Michigan seems to have the dudes inside that Georgia had last year, like mm-hmm. high level draft picks. And Ohio State kind of had their way. I mean, Tyreek Williams, you know, and, and Hall had a pretty nice game. I think Michigan's got those guys and more on the inside. So. We'll and see if Penn State can hold up with guard and center spots. They've got Norzad at center. Who he, he transferred from like Harvard. He transferred from an Ivy League school. I can't remember which one. Yeah, he's he's held up pretty well at center, but their guards have not been very good. And yeah, that is Jenkins be, Grant mm-hmm, Graham. It's they're decent, so that that's going to be an interesting matchup to watch too. And <laughs> and the other thing is like you, we're talking about Penn State's offense. It's Penn State's explosive play rate on the season is 9.4%. That ranks 120th. In the passing game, they're 11.7%. That ranks 119th. Run, they're ranking 109th. Here's a fun stat for you. I've mentioned a thousand times that Michigan's defense has not faced a first and goal. Do you know what the average distance of the touchdown scored against Michigan is this year? 44.3 yards. You unless you make an explosive play against them because there's a miscommunication or you just make a play, you don't score. Penn State to this point has not shown any ability to put together those kind of plays. So it's if Penn State has to go seven, eight, nine plays for 75 yards, they're not going to do it. They simply can't. Nobody has been able to do it against Michigan. And also Michigan can get pressure on Penn State in a way that nobody else has to this point. And Drew Aller under pressure. I mean, everybody's worse under pressure than they are without it, but his his completion percentage drops to 38.9%. In four games against, oh, yeah, okay, against Ohio State, we saw this. He was six for 20 under pressure for 80 yards, one touchdown, and three sacks. He does a good job of not panicking and turning the ball over, but he doesn't complete passes. And they have allowed only 94 pressures on the year as a team. But 59 of them came against West Virginia, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio State. What do those four teams have in common? 
They're the only four good defensive lines Penn State has faced all season long. So that's going to be a huge problem for them because we saw it. Like Maybe being at home, he'll be more comfortable. But in the pocket against Ohio State, that man was every word you can think of that was the opposite of the word comfortable. Mm. We will have our picks for this game, of course, coming up on Thursday in 11 a.m. Eastern time for the Locks Pod. But coming up on the other side, we continue our big game breakdown with a look at the SEC on CBS Game of the Week between Tennessee and Missouri, Georgia, Ole Miss, and notes on some of the other big games that have our attention next. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Saturday, the college football playoffs right around the corner, and the SEC on CBS is highlighted by a must-see top 20 matchup between Tennessee and Missouri. Live coverage begins 3.30 Eastern Saturday. The SEC is on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So, Vols, the Tigers, in a battle with New Year's Six implications, I would argue, how does Missouri get up off the mat? Bud, you looking for body blow here? Body blow for sure. Um, I'm looking to see who's going to play for Tennessee. I know they had a couple guys they held out and smoked UConn anyway, uh, but we have talked about this in critical games. The backup offensive linemen for Tennessee are really not SEC ready, uh, and they, they cost Tennessee games. See also the Florida game in the swamp. So, like they did, their stud left tackle, John Campbell, who they got from Miami, he didn't play against UConn. Was that precautionary or doing like a Keon Coleman type thing there and that they're going to have him ready this weekend or not? I, I don't really know. Uh, so Missouri has a pretty decent defense. They'll contest routes. like, like they, ha- they have a nice secondary, and they'll probably scheme it open. On the other side, Luther Burden was also on the injury report. So mm-hmm. uh, how healthy is he? Questionable for Luther Burden, probable for Brady Cook. See, oh, is Cook hurt? I think he's going to be playing. He's a Do we really up. care who plays quarterback for Missouri? Yes. Like, I'm not saying Cook's not good, but like, yes. To yes. me, they just scheme it up. All right. Cook is good. Cook's good. Not great. Yes. Right. Uh, I think he's a Jag. I give him the plus. I give him Jag the plus. plus. I give him a plus and a half. Whoa. That's right. I'm doing it. <laughs> it's uh when you don't make mistakes and you actually execute on the plays that are schemed up for you, that is good wild. enough at the college level to mm-hmm. get that plus. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Like Jag Plus, the best definition is kind of just a guy, but we would we would be annoyed or kind of worried if he was out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I would be very worried if I was Mizzou and Brady Cook was out. Um 
this has killed them, by the way, last two years. Yeah. Just absolutely destroyed them. And that that's what's going to be interesting to me because, like, Mizzou's defense overall did a good job against Georgia last week. Like, they didn't win the game, and they didn't have a tremendous game that helped them win it. But based on what they were up against, you have to give them some credit for what they did. But the Mizzou defense all year – has been kind of boomer bust. Like they do a very good job of getting pressure and getting to the opposing quarterback, but when they don't get home, there's a lot of area left to exploit. And we have seen LSU take advantage of it, Kansas State take advantage of it. Lots of teams have taken advantage of it, and that's what that's I think going to be a huge one in this matchup because, like we've Bud, you've mentioned a minute ago, like this Tennessee offensive line is good if it's healthy and they could block it up and give Joe Milton and this guy time in the offense. We've seen Mizzou get exploited a lot in the secondary by, you know, yeah. teams. Although Jane Daniels used his legs a lot more than I think Joe Milton is going to, but it is something we could see. We could see Joe Milton using his legs because Mizzou does play a lot of man because of the way that they bring pressure. They don't run it like to the levels they did when Ryan Walters was there, but they still do compared to most other teams run more man coverage than others. And that's something that could burn them. And sometimes it works for their benefit. So that's going to be a key for me. And on the other side, yeah, it's, it's going to come down to which defensive line gets the most pressure makes the most plays. That's how I feel. Cause these two teams are pretty similar to me. Like they don't have the same style exactly, but their overall ethos feels the same. They're both seven and two, three and two in conference play, not Georgia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They I do mean, some it's... things. Well, they have some weaknesses. They are sec East Jag pluses of teams. That's exactly what they are. <laughs> um, again, Oddsmakers expecting a tight game. Tennessee, a one-point favorite here. Uh, elsewhere in the SEC, Georgia go- taking on Ole Miss. The game is in Athens. The Bulldogs are double-digit favorites in the game coming out of that a win against Missouri. Uh, Ole Miss trying to notch what would unquestionably be uh, the biggest win of the Lane Kiffin era if they were able to go between the hedges and get a victory. The Rebels up to number nine in the college football playoff rankings as they remained just a one-loss team. A loss here you know, eliminates them from the SEC title game, likely, especially with the head-to-head loss to the Crimson Tide. What, What has Ole Miss got for Georgia here in this spot? You tell me, man. Like I, I, I don't. I'm not buying this Ole Miss stuff at all. Uh, I, you, you know what's a shameful effort? 75, 70, 75, 75, 67, 46. That was, those were AM's drives to finish the game last week. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible AM offense. They didn't have Evan Stewart. You got uh, the, the quarterback who's got you know maybe broken ribs or whatever. You talking about Max like that? Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, like you, you're you're allowing a hurt backup quarterback without AM's one stud receiver to do that to you. I I, I think Ole Miss's defense is a total scam. I, I just I, I'm not entertaining this as like a look, can Ole Miss score so much and then get the right breaks because they get actual pass rush on Carson Beck? Oh, and they might get a Marius Mims back this week too. The mm-hmm. best offensive tackle in the SEC. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's, who's missed like six weeks now after having the we have tightrope or whatever it was, I think, I think maybe or whatever, whatever surgery, some ankle injury. Um, I, I just, I expect Georgia to come out and score 40 plus points, maybe a 50 spot if they need to Ole Miss's defense, LSU destroyed them. We know what good defenses do to LSU, right? They limit them. LSU will get some points. LSU did whatever it wanted. Basically the entire game Tulane's backup quarterback, moved the ball on Ole Miss's defense. What good defensive games does Ole Miss have? 
I guess against Bama when Bama was really figuring it out, Auburn, okay, everybody limits Auburn and Bandy when Bandy was playing QB3. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, I think it's a bad old Miss defense, and I th- expect it to get exposed. When you uh, talk about, you've, you said before, uh, Ole Miss has luck boxed its way into eight and one. Is that using yeah. like post game win expectancy models or like what's your, what, what's sort of the, the spreadsheet column that has you, you know, believing that Ole Miss has wound up on the fortunate side of, uh, of, of a lot of things at the margins? Yeah, I just, exactly. Post game win expectancy models there. I think they've caught some teams at the right time. Um, and just, I mean, how many backups quarterbacks is Ole Miss going to play? Right. And still give up points to them. That's concerning to me. Uh, I just I'm not a believer in this old Miss defense. I, I think there are some good pieces. Some of the defensive line is actually pretty good. The secondary play, I think, is is horrid. Uh, and uh, yeah, I expect I I think Carson Best going to throw the ball over these guys. Yeah. Ole Miss is four and in one score games. The only yeah. teams to win more one-score games than then this year are Boston College, Fresno State, Central Michigan, and James Madison. Um, yeah, I I don't have much to add to that other than like every Saturday, you know, I'll have Tweet Deck open while I'm watching these games, and there's always I'm seeing every week I'm seeing tweets from people from a certain part of the country about how well this Ole Miss defense is playing, and they got to be grading them on a curve. Because, like, it's maybe if you're comparing it to last year's Ole Miss defense or the defense before, it seems like they're playing great. Like, they're not awful. Don't get me wrong. Like, they're, if you look at all these stats, they rank generally in like between like 40 and 70 in all these numbers. So it's like they're above average or average. Maybe compared to the Power Five brethren, they're below average. Right. But, like, they don't get three and outs, they don't force negative plays. They do a decent job of keeping you from getting to the red zone, but once you get there, you're practically guaranteed like a touchdown for the most part. So it's – I just don't see them getting enough stops against Georgia. Like I think Georgia can overwhelm them at the point of attack, and I think that is going to be a problem for them getting off the field. I think Georgia is going to be able to put together a lot of long, body-crushing drives to just completely suck the soul out of you as the game goes along. And maybe, as we've seen many times, Ole Miss hangs around in the first quarter, Ole Miss hangs around in the first half, and then the second half will start and the dam will burst and Georgia will just kind of start trampling them. Now, on the other side, I do think they are better equipped to move the ball against Georgia than a lot of the teams that Georgia has faced. Like, I won't be surprised if they get 20-something points or maybe even approach 30. But, like, can you stop Georgia from getting 49? I don't think so. Like, Georgia will score at least 40. I think that's fair. Like, unless they just completely boa constrictor them, right? Because they, they mm-hmm. shut it down early and then, like, it looks like the Alabama game. I'd look, I'd be worried about Tennessee on deck. If, well, this if, is body blow, too, for Georgia. Mm-hmm. Like, they, mm-hmm. these teams they've played are certainly overrated by my system, but they're still like teams with some real athletes. Well, yeah, so no, Florida, Missouri's, Missouri, defense, Missouri's defensive line has, yeah, like, phys- yes. real size and physicality in a way where. It, you know, when we talk about how this game breaks down, obviously we, we all see Georgia as a deserved favorite and we've laid out our expectations as such. If you're thinking about the, the best bet for this game and looking at the margins in terms of the spread or the total, I, I'm a little bit spooked in terms of my confidence one way or the other, knowing that on the other side of this, you have a trip to Knoxville. And if the game plays out that allows Kirby to boa constrictor this, where what looks like an over, what looks like a Georgia cover could all of a sudden be, you know, thrown in, uh, thrown in doubt. 
that that is one read of this, uh, at least from the wagering angle that I'm looking at. It's a night game, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Kirby has zero desire to have this game end at like 11:45. Hell, you know no. what I'm saying? Yes. Like they, they got they got the trip to Tennessee on deck. Yeah, it three hour game, three hour mm-hmm. game. Also, like we talked about Ole Miss's offense last week. A&M was down both of its starting corners. Uh, one of the corners they took in the portal, by the way, I'm not including the discussion, is Grimes, who hadn't even played for him yet. I mean, they're playing guys who like couldn't get on the field at other programs. And Ole Miss is scoring some on them, but it also took like a trick play. That A&M defensive line is the real deal, and it's a better D-line than, than what Georgia has. It's not a better overall defense than what Georgia has, obviously, but they did give Ole Miss quite a few problems. I, 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 I think yeah. Georgia's going to... I think George is like they can do what they want in this game offensively. I think if they want to throw it around, I think they can have success there. But if they want to just hand the ball off 45 times, I don't think Ole Miss can stop it. That, and that's where, you know, maybe Mike Bobo is thinking about being able to get a rhythm going, right? Because it what's a good way. Oh, man, I'm such a dummy. Um, what's a what's a good way? to have a counter to an aggressive pass rush. It's to run the football. And look, Tennessee's got a really good pass rush. You don't want them to be able to just tee off on you in Neyland Stadium with the dogs in town and be able to like generate that as the overall vibe around that game. You want to make sure that a Georgia rushing attack that, you know, compared to the way we've seen it in years past has not been performing at the same level, you know, Get get those get Asian Edwards in rhythm. Get that offensive line in rhythm. Build up a little bit of confidence so that that's going to be something that you can ride a little bit on the road. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that be at least maybe not the game plan, but at least a, a goal going into it. All right. If I got to paint a picture of like how Ole Miss wins this, it's you know, high variant stuff with turnovers. Ole Miss finds a way to rush the ball off the edges like Missouri did. Although their run game is different schematically than what Missouri does. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right? And um, Quinshawn Judkins is better than Schrader. Yeah, yes, clearly. Like Judkins is a really good back, so m- maybe they're able to kind of screw with these UGA linebackers. Um, obviously, Dumas Johnson, what do you have, a, a fractured forearm or whatever it was? I, I mm-hmm. forgot what the injury exactly was, but he's not playing in this game. Uh, I do believe Lassiter is good to go, though. So Georgia, for my money, is the best secondary in the country, I think, and their ability to cover and communicate will be pretty uh, – pretty important let's get a little pac 12 love out here utah gonna have anything for uh for washington a couple games from last weekend i think you if you were picking games this weekend you need to make a call and you need to say was this game this team or was this game this other team for state maryland was one utah arizona state was absolutely one too yeah uh I kind of think Whittingham wanted to twist the knife there a little bit after that that late hit that they put on that Arizona State put on the running back, mm-hmm. and then they knocked out their quarterback. And uh, that's a game that typically I would want to like live bet under. And I'm like, mm, cannot cannot be live betting under here after, after that late hit shot because uh, Whittingham might run this up. But how much of that was actually Arizona State with all those offensive linemen out and the quarterback getting knocked out? Mm-hmm. And you Utah, think this Utah offense will travel. Mm-hmm. Utah Utah was in its second home game coming right off of getting embarrassed by Oregon. Throw in the late hit. There is all the motivation in the world to run it up. I do not think there should be a major adjustment to your 
view of Utah based on the 52-point margin? Utah at home, 27 points a game. Utah on the road, 20 points a game. And that 27 points is heavily skewed by last week's game. This game is at Husky Stadium. We've talked about how Washington had a couple of sleepers earlier in the year. The longer we've been away from that, the more information has come out about, you know, like flu situation going on through the team at that point. We have seen Washington rebound quite effectively the last few weeks, including going on the road and beating USC and looking like Washington again. I think Utah being Utah can do Utah stuff to make Washington frustrated. I It's the same situation that we had, though, a few weeks ago when Utah hosted Oregon. They can do some stuff, but can they do enough to really keep this game close for 60 minutes? I, I don't think so. I think Washington's probably going to win this one in cover. What about, man, I so during the reaction show, we'll have Oregon and USC. And this isn't even a competitive projection. Ducks are favored by 16 and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean... They're going to be able to score every time they have the ball. I mean, this is the USC only wins if they steal multiple possessions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how much does the defensive coordinator change matter mm-hmm. to USC? Do they just simplify stuff, you know, see ball, hit ball? Possibly, I guess. Um, you know, how much does Oregon, if Oregon has the opportunity, how much do they want to run this up? These two recruit against each other quite a bit, so I, I wouldn't say that, that there's zero motivation there. Listen, we're an aggressive team. It's what we do. I only know. I only know his face. I don't, I don't have Dan Lanning's voice down yet. But, you know, he always gets this one going, especially when he's really excited. The eyes get big. He's kind of got a little rhythm to him. It's this could like I think Oregon's going to win this game, and it's it. And so, you know, you get that kind of, you get the home field advantage, but I also, I can't help but think like Washington's offense was able to move the ball against Oregon. Its defense is very good, but we have seen it struggle. And this is a USC offense that for all its defensive problems, if Caleb Williams is playing and Caleb Williams is locked in, they can move the ball. So will Oregon be able to do what like Notre Dame did and get a tremendous amount of pressure on him and force him into making mistakes? If they do that and they do it early, I feel like this game could snowball pretty quick. But if USC is able to just kind of hang around in the first half, I think this thing can get kind of uncomfortable for the Ducks in the second half. Like I, I, I do feel like this spread is a little too large. It, it is interesting that Washington was a three and a half point favorite at USC and USC is a 16 and a half point underdog at Oregon. Now we have seen the power rating on Oregon continue to surge all throughout the season. They're doing all the, they're doing all the things that would lead to uh, an increase in the way that the odds makers look at the ducks. But that is quite a stunning uh, two week snapshot in terms of, where Washington is at and where Oregon is at, at least in the eyes of the odds makers. I did see a look ahead somewhere. Uh, I thought it was on our partner FanDuel, but they currently do have the Oregon State Oregon look ahead posted. But I, I, I saw a look ahead that was Oregon seven over Washington. If they for played the, in Las Vegas for the Pac 12 title game. Yeah, maybe it was. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you click on, if you go on FanDuel and click on hypothetical, uh, it's six and a half now. Six and a half or, Oregon Washington. So, 
Greg yeah, McElroy which... in shambles. <laughs> um, all right. Before we get out of here, you know, um, Bud, question for you. Uh, what game does Miami need to play? Let me eliminate the easy answer of it's best game of the season uh, in order to uh, to beat Florida State on Saturday. Uh, they need to, I think, hope that Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson don't play and then try to execute the plan that Pitt tried to execute, but execute it better. I, they also need to make a decision on quarterback. All of the, the uh, I, was, I was listening to the uh, the Inside of the U you know, podcast through the smoke, and they had like a serious debate as to which of three quarterbacks you want to play. Tyler Van, Dyke, Tyler Van Dyke, who has like Chuck Knobloch style yips. Uh, Emery Williams, Bad. who I think com- almost all of his completions were behind the line of scrimmage against Clemson or within like five yards of the line of scrimmage. Quarterback wins, baby. <laughs> Quarterback wins, yes. Uh, or Ja'Kari Brown, who... Uh, true freshman. I mean, no, not a true freshman. Oh, no. oh, oh, no, Emory's the true freshman. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I mean, not a competitive thrower in any sense. Like, super raw and hasn't developed as a thrower, at least from what I've read and, and seen. So, I mean, can Miami find a way to score 24 in Tallahassee? Yes. Possibly, yeah. It's probably needs like short fields, turnovers, that that type of stuff. Like Miami's got some real receivers, and their offensive line is is, is going to be one of the best ones FSU's faced, right? Um but quarterback's a major problem. I yeah, I Miami's only real avenue to a success here, at least as far as victory, is they're gonna have to run the ball very effectively. And they're going to have to try to lean into it and find ways. And I think that there's a chance. I think there's a better chance that can happen than they'll be able to just throw the ball all over with the way their quarterback situation is right now. Because you're right. Whatever is wrong with TVD, there is like something wrong with TVD. Yeah, it's that's not just your leg was wrapped up. That is a performance issue Mm -hmm. at this point. He did look a little bit banged up there a couple weeks ago, but this is... Um. Yeah, dis- disappointing season for one that had so much hype about the offensive coordinator change and what it was going to mean to somebody who, when Rhett Lashley was there, was a very good downfield passer in a way that led him to be in the ACC Rookie of the Year. So, I also do, like, legitimately, from a game day coaching perspective, or perspective I, I think Norvell is a much better game day coach th- than Cristobal. I, like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> probably the wor- the worst game day coach in the ACC versus one of the best. Um. All right. Uh. Any? Oh yeah. Let's. <laughs> Do you think that uh, Texas has a shot at losing at TCU? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're playing a conference road game with your backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. There's always a chance. And I mean, I don't like. They're saying Chandler Morris could play they're still sticking with hoover i think i don't i mean could just be a little gamesmanship there maybe we see chandler morris return or maybe they're just kind of into hoover but i think that tcu is it's not it's not near the team it was last year but it is dangerous and i think they can draw some stuff up to take advantage of like they're not gonna they can't line up against texas's defense and just try to beat them but they can draw some stuff up to maybe get some explosives and big plays and then if like Malik struggles or turns the ball over in a tough road environment, things could, you know, things could go bad. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I definitely don't think it would. I wouldn't be shocked 
TCU has not done anything well enough consistently enough mm-hmm. or anything poorly enough consistently enough for anyone to say with any kind of confidence they know exactly who TCU is. Yeah, that's a good... Like the the court- wide variance of performances have made TCU the mystery man of the Big 12, and that's why they're so damn dangerous in this spot right here. And the great irony is I felt the same way about TCU all last year, and they got to the <laughs> damn title game. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, that's that's the one that's uh, got my eye for sure. Lots of other good games. I mean, it's just a, a loaded, what is it, like 60? Are we up to like almost everybody's playing an FBS opponent for the most part this weekend? We did it. Uh, we did it. We made it through all of the off weeks. It's going to be a loaded, loaded day. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to have locks. Are we going to have locks on all 64 FPS on FPS games? Yes. Yes. So come and hang out and find out how we get it done somehow within a 90-minute period on the Cover 3 podcast. We do our locks every single Thursday. So come and hang out Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, youtube.com slash cover3. Remember, we move the locks move the lines so you want to make sure that you watch live so that you can get in on it and you can follow him on twitter at time for now you can follow him at bud elliot three you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much thank you This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.